When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back. It's your Thursday Buckeye Talk. Douglas Maurice is the one's uh, getting up to you a little bit late. I'm a little sick, so that's delayed me in getting this up. I have this interview. It's the latest in the breakdown of Ohio State opponents. So we are at the 10th game of the year. That's where we are. It's Indiana. And I have Zach Osterman from the Indy Star to come on and talk about the Hoosiers here in a bit. But I just want to set up the idea that I think last year's season for Indiana is is among the most disappointing football seasons that I've ever seen. Um, believe it or not, last year in our preseason Cleveland.com Big Ten poll, which will be coming out shortly for this year, last year Indiana was picked third by 34 writers around the Big Ten, third in the Big Ten East. Ohio State had 238 points. Penn State had 192. Indiana had 169. Michigan had 144. Michigan State had 52 and a half. So our our predictions last year, we had Michigan, who won the Big Ten and made the playoff fourth. We had Michigan State, who won 10 games and a New Year's Six Bowl last. And we had Indiana third. Indiana went 0 and 9 in the Big Ten last year. Unbelievable disappointment. A lot of reasons for that, a lot injury-related. But I think here at Cleveland.com, maybe we were a little more skeptical about the Hoosiers. But I'm, like, totally out on Indiana right now. So we're here to talk to Zach about Indiana football because Ohio State has him on the schedule. I almost made this a combined Indiana and Maryland podcast because I didn't know if you guys are getting like a little sick of this. It's like, I get it. Doug. They play 12 games. Got to do 12 pods. It's like, yeah, we, we do. But I thought Zach of course is going to carry the day with this interview and made it worth it. Indiana at Ohio state, November 12th, Ohio state at Maryland, November 19th. I was going to pair them together because I think they're both basketball schools and how much is Ohio State ever going to be afraid of a basketball school? So we have a conversation with Zach that wraps up with the idea of, it's a question I can't remember what we have and haven't talked about on Buckeye Talk. If you had 100% of a pie for the average fan of a university in the Big Ten, average sports fan, and you were splitting it between football and men's basketball, how much would football get and how much would men's basketball get? My guess, and I almost want to ask writers from every team, my guess is that the only three schools in the Big Ten that would have a bigger basketball piece than a football piece are Indiana, Purdue, and Maryland. But that might be wrong. I would guess that the team, the school that has the biggest football piece compared to basketball piece would probably be Penn State. And then maybe Nebraska, not that far behind. Ohio State, frankly, not that far behind. But you think about you know Michigan State, Michigan, two really good 
basketball programs in the Big Ten, I think they'd have a bigger football piece. So I, I maybe I want to ask beat writers when we get to Big Ten media days that question. But I, I was going to lump this together and do Indiana and Maryland as sort of basketball schools playing football in the Big Ten. How much do you really worry about them? But Zach was good enough to carry the day. We'll get to Maryland next week. This is game 10. It is Indiana at Ohio State on November 12th. We did Northwestern as the previous one. We did Penn State, Iowa before that. Remaining, Maryland and Michigan. We're going to save Michigan until after Big Ten Media Days. So we'll do Maryland next week. Then the week after that is Big Ten Media Days. We'll sort of take a break from the schedule, and then we'll wrap up with with Michigan. Uh, Once we get a sense, I think it'll be good. I sort of timed it out that way to get a sense of Michigan from Jim Harbaugh and the Michigan players at Big Ten Media Days before we really evaluate uh, that season and the game in Columbus on November 26th. But for now... Let's get ready to talk about the Indiana Hoosiers and the Ohio State Buckeyes facing off November 12th in Ohio Stadium. All right, here with Zach talking Hoosiers. Zach, I don't know if I can remember a team that was sort of like a middling football team that had a good year and then had so much hope going into a year and then it kind of didn't work out (laughs) to the extent that it sort of felt like with Indiana football last year, because Tom Allen at Big Ten Media Days last year was telling the stories of when I got here, people used to break the huddle with, you know, Big Ten champs or whatever. And I said, we're not allowed to do that. That's unrealistic. And then he said, I'm going to let them do it this year. And then it just did not work out. What what was it like sort of covering the Hoosiers through last season? It, it, it was very weird, um, as you can imagine, just sort of the – you know, when I say like car crash, I don't mean to be overly flippant or pejorative, but like, you know, I mean, like, I think I was, if I'm remembering the sequencing right, I was first touchdown was that Micah, uh, not Micah Hyde, I'm losing my mind, but um, the Tyler Goodson like bounced to the outside, mm-hmm. like 60 yard run. And then on Indiana's next drive, there was a pick six. And and, you know, quite literally, with the exception of a perfectly normal win over Idaho and roughly one half of football against Cincinnati, um, they never really got it back. Yeah. And, and there was, you know, there was kind of the, the brief hope of a win at Western Kentucky. But, like, you know, that that first game set to terms for everything else. It was obviously a season where – you know, a lot went wrong. I think it was a season where you were reminded. Sorry, that's my that's my email. Let me close that out while we're talking here. But it was a season well, a season where you were kind of reminded that the, the you know, the, the the sort of floor underneath a, a program like IU is always going to be flimsier than a lot of the schools that maybe it hoped it was going to compete with more directly last season. Um, you know, I, I think it also and it's kind of hard to ascribe. This is one of those things that you you can talk about intangibly and and I can't prove it with numbers or facts, but there was also kind of a moment during the season where, you know, genuinely when preseason, when I I know what Tom Allen said immediately at the same time, when, when I talked to people in Bloomington around the program, around the department, there was definitely a feeling of like eight and four would be a great year. Eight and four consolidate. Cause if you look at actually the previous remove the COVID season, Five of the previous, or I think it was, yeah, I think five of the previous six seasons before that, 
Indiana had won at least five games. They'd been to three bowl games in five years before the COVID season. That was across two different coaching tenures. They had a really good record in that stretch against Purdue, which is always a barometer for, yep. frankly, both of these pro- both programs in the state. And so it felt like Indiana had raised its competitive floor. And I did wonder, especially as the season kind of started to get away from Indiana, the extent to which kind of maybe Indiana had a roster that was not necessarily fit to fight back because there may have been a lot of guys on that roster who in some ways justifiably might have looked around and thought, I did what I came here to do. You know, I, mm. I was sold on the idea of making Indiana competitive again. We did that. We've been to, okay, there's things that they didn't do. They didn't win the Big Ten or they, they didn't win a bowl game. But, like, they went to back-to-back January bowl games. They beat Penn State. They beat Michigan. They got Indiana ranked in the top ten. They were in a Big Ten, you know, a Big Ten title race, all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and I think there was genuinely, you know, sort of belief in the ambition to be fighting around the top of the Big Ten again before last season. But I think especially once it kind of gets to two and three and Michael Penix is out basically for the year and it's clear that there's just stuff nobody can fix, particularly on the offense. I just wondered if if maybe subconsciously guys, I don't want to say checked out, but just did not have that that one last sort of, you know, once more unto the breach, dear friends, in them when you considered kind of how far their careers had had sort of gone and how far they'd taken Indiana. And so some of it was, if not outside Indiana's control, only partly in, in, you know, within Indiana's control, they had a ton of injuries. They ended last season with, you know, most of their best defensive players sidelined. They were starting a a walk-on quarterback by the time they got to the Purdue game, Um, you know, walk-ons at running back and things like that. But there was also, I did wonder subconsciously if it was kind of one of those where once the system started to to really fail, and when I say the system, I'm, I'm speaking in the most sort of metaphorical terms possible. Forgive me. Um, it it did feel a little bit like, you know, maybe maybe this is kind of the end of a cycle for Indiana, and now the challenge for Tom Allen is to figure out how to pick up the pieces effectively enough to start a new one. So that's let's talk about Tom Allen because when things were going right in the COVID season in 2020 and, and people were seeing Tom Allen's speeches in the locker room. This was a guy that there was a vibe just not around like, Hey, like Indiana's competitive. They beat Penn state. They beat Michigan. They played with Ohio state in 2020, but it was sort of like, Hey, this guy might have a little something. I think guys might want to go play for Tom Allen. He might be building something here. And then you go two and 10, oh, and nine in the big 10. And as you outlined, Zach, there are a lot of reasons for that. He's 26 and 32 overall as a head coach now, 15 and 28 in the big 10. Is this make, does, does last year make people question whether Tom Allen is the right guy for Indiana football, or is it more, a lot of injuries, stuff happens, but he's still that guy that people want to play for, that gets people fired up, that can build a culture, that can recruit. What do people think of the coach? I think a season like last season, I mean, like just to kind of put it in context, you, you mentioned the record there. They scored more than one touchdown in a Big Ten game once last yep. season. Offensive touchdown. I think there were a couple of games where they tacked on a defensive touchdown, but Maryland was the only team they scored multiple offensive touchdowns against all of last season in the Big Ten. So it wasn't just that they were bad. It wasn't that they were 4-8 and eight with some bad luck, you know, thinking about, like, 
the way that maybe a couple of Jeff Brom seasons have gone at Purdue. I mean, it, the bottom really fell out. And that's where I, I come back to kind of this idea that maybe there were some intangible reasons for that. And maybe that there were, there was an element of guys trying, but not quite being able to re-engage with the same sort of fire and intensity and all the coaching cliches about chip on your shoulder and stuff like that. Um, coming out of a season that bad, I don't think you, you, I think, you know, questioning the coach is always going to be unavoidable. Now, the flip side to that is, you know, his first four seasons, Tom Allen went five and seven, five and seven, eight and five, six and two. You do that in Indiana, that needs to buy you a lot of time. This cannot be a place that's knee jerk. It, it, it can't work that way. If, if you're going to dismiss a, a coach for performance and that's their first four years, not even one or two years, but that's their first four years, you have to give them time. And he's not by any means on the hot seat this season. I mean, I I guess if Indiana went like something crazy like 0-12, maybe we'd be having that conversation, but I highly doubt it. Um, and certainly if, if there is any tangible sort of recovery this season, even to something like 5-7, and seven, I think Indiana would be allowed to think of that as, as a positive step, not just in terms of record, but maybe in terms of, again, saying – Actually, the aberration wasn't the COVID season. It was the two and 10 season. And, and yeah. you know, we're back to being kind of this five to eight wins a year. We're always going to be in the mix. You can always count on us to fight hard most of the time and give everybody a game. Um, because a lot of that still, I think a lot of that in Tom Allen's personality still remains. And obviously people point to the COVID season and even the season before that, when they won at Nebraska and they won at Purdue, but, you know, the, there were, I mean, in Tom Allen's tenure, they've obviously given Ohio State a game. There was the, the, I guess, depending on how you want to see it, the famous or infamous game where Tom Allen, like Michigan accused Indiana of playing too physically, which is still one of the more bizarre sort of coach to coach, program to program feuds I've, I've witnessed in the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, obviously, they've played a ton of great games with Michigan State, some tough ones with Penn State. I think that, that, that personality still exists, certainly within Tom Allen and possibly within his program. Um, interestingly, and I don't know how how out there this story is, but we have written about it. Like the morning, like 9 a.m. the morning after the Purdue game last year, um, six players, I think it was six, uh, texted Tom Allen together and asked if he would meet them in his office. And they just like met him in his office and they had like a PowerPoint presentation or something. And it was basically just we're not going to let that happen again. Mm. And and one of them was even Micah McFadden, who I think everybody kind of knew by the end of last season needed to go to the NFL. He had nothing left to prove in college. It was time for him to move on. But there was just kind of this, and it was, you know, the rest of them were like Taiwan Mullen, Devon Matthews, Jack Tuttle, people like that, people who, you know, fans would know. And they initiated that. And there was kind of this, like, from the morning after the Purdue game, you know, we were washing that away, but we are not letting that happen again. So I think internally there's still a strong amount of belief in Tom Allen and if you look at the fact that last season, Indiana, I think, wound up with a top 25, top 30 recruiting class, first time in program history, and managed to keep the bulk of it together despite going two and 10. Yeah. I think there's still a lot of belief, you know, kind of in, in that area in Tom Allen. And you saw Indiana pick up, I think, some potentially impact transfers. That said, you know, at any place, but perhaps Indiana more than most, um, you know, you've got to turn it around quickly on the field. You can't afford two bad seasons at Indiana. Um, I don't know. Indiana doesn't need to go win a, you know, win the Outback Bowl this year or whatever we're calling it now, but 
there need to be tangible signs of recovery because a place like this, again, the the foundations are just never going to be as strong as to let you get away with two, two really poor years. And and that's, I think there's still a lot of belief in Tom Allen, especially internally, but obviously you've got to see that on the field. And again, maybe here more so than a lot of places. Just as a heads up, um, we are here at Ohio state viewing Justin Fry's arrival in Columbus, 38-year-old former four-year offensive line starter at Indiana, Justin Fry, as uh, prepare, persisting himself for whenever the Tom Allen era ends, that he will be a viable candidate to be the next head coach of the Indiana Fighting Hoosiers. Is, is, are we way off on that? No, I mean, I, I think, listen, I mean, I could draw you up a, a short list of, of interesting candidates um, the other thing I'd point out too with Tom Allen is he did sign that big extension um, in 2020, and I know every Big Ten school is about to just you know start wiping it wiping its sweat off with fifties. But like, that's not the wiping I thought you were going to say. I was I thought Thank about going there, and then I, I did something just a little bit more PG. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, toweling off after practice with fifties and hundreds, but like still. For a couple more years, those buyout numbers are are pretty large for IU football. And I'm not saying that IU football can be a slave to money, but at the same time, again, when you couple it to the fact that the first four years were really good. And if you go back and look at the context of the first four years and what Tom Allen inherited out of Kevin Wilson's tenure and all that, it was a really, really strong kind of cycle that then just, then just, I mean, just careened into a brick wall kind of at the end of it. And I think that, again, like, it's tough because, listen, fans are going to be fans. And if Indiana's, you know, three and eight going into the Purdue game in November, they're going to be screaming for blood. I don't necessarily think that all of their complaints in that event would be unfair. I also am not convinced that a program like Indiana can send out a signal that you can have the first four years Tom Allen had and then 24 months later lose your job and expect to compete for someone perhaps like a rising star in the coaching community, like Justin Fry. So I think you have to give Tom Allen time. I also think Tom Allen has earned that time. I think he has, he has made that program his own and, and that's for better in some ways. And obviously last season proved it's for worse than others, but like it clearly is his, it clearly means a lot to him. The people within it clearly buy heavily into him and I'm not just talking a few players, I'm talking coaches, I'm talking department personnel, all those kinds of people. I think the other thing that kind of colors some of this is that when you talk about expectation last season, that wasn't just for players. Like, I mean, Indiana ticket sales were, you know, 20, 25% above mm-hmm. what they normally would be for IU football. And we haven't, seen obviously the, the the fiscal year just ended so we you know i don't know where those numbers are going to land and in indiana's annual financial reports but like there was so much hype and expectation and excitement within the fan base and for it to be so extremely kind of oh it's just iu football happening all over again I think that colors some of it too, that it wasn't just within the program. If anything, the fans probably dreamed bigger than people in the program did. Not that people in the program weren't being ambitious, but fans are allowed to be a little bit extreme, a little bit outlandish. And I just think they, I think that the, 
again, like the just just how intensely bad the season was has also kind of created this weird energy around the program because fans weren't just disappointed. IU fans are used to being disappointed, but like the intensity of that disappointment yeah. was, and the depth of it, I think has really left them sort of struggling, frankly, to even just kind of be excited about what's to come. And, and this is as hard of a season to kind of peg as I've seen on the IU beat, but um, you know, if Indiana starts three and one, they'll probably be excited again, but it won't be, there will be a little bit of, there's definitely been some trust lost, I guess. Yeah. Is the best way to put it. It's hard to get people's hopes up and then go, oh, and nine in the conference, even though there are reasonable reasons for it. Let's get on the field. One of those reasons, obviously, as you mentioned, the injury to quarterback Michael Penix last year, you go from the opener against Penn State in 2020, reaching for the pylon, winning that game, and and the cascade that happened in a good way after that. And then last year he plays what in five games before he gets hurt and his season's over. Now he's transferred to Washington to rejoin former Indiana offensive coordinator, Kalen DeBoer, who's now the head coach there. And by the time Ohio state sees Indiana last year, it's raining and Indiana is playing. It's what it's fourth quarterback. I mean, they're practically playing the water boy at that point. And so, you know, it's damning to say, you didn't score more than one offensive touchdown in most of your games, but how much, how much of that was like they ran out of quarterbacks and then how, what, what are the expectations? And this is more important because we're trying to look to 2022. What will this offense be like this year? And how, what do you think the quarterback play will be like for Indiana in 2022 in the post Penix era? Yeah, that's a fascinating – I mean, that is the fascinating sort of storyline heading into um, fall camp because – and this is very un, unusual for IU. I don't remember this ever happening in all my time around IU football. They closed all spring practice. Mm. Um, no in-person availability, no open practice, no viewing sessions, nothing even like off the record. They just they just showed you it didn't- Talk to anybody during we spring some, football. We did some zooms. We did some zooms. That was it. Wow. Um, they didn't even. They didn't even have a spring game. They didn't even play a spring game. Um, and I think a lot of that. I think some of it is probably designed around the idea that maybe everybody let the noise get turned up a little bit too loud last year. And I don't know that that necessarily got you know made guys a little fat headed, but maybe was a bit of a distraction. But I think a lot of it really is just basically, you know, if you look at what Indiana's ideal starting 11 was on offense last season, you're going to have a different starting quarterback, a different starting running back, a different starting tight end, two, if not three, new starting receivers. The offensive line, which was as poor as any position on that offense last season, is the the one piece that's kind of um, – fairly static like they've got some pieces to replace but they've got at least some guys back that played quite a bit last season and have played quite a bit the last couple seasons I expect some of those pieces to be moved around like I would be surprised if Matt Bedford is a guard again this season I think he'll move back to tackle for example um but even there where you've got some some veterans who've played a lot of football at IU there's still a lot of question marks and then you've got a new offensive coordinator in Walt Bell. He's joined mid-off season by co-offensive coordinator Adam Henry. I think a lot of the shutting down spring was basically just designed around not Tom Allen not wanting anyone to see anything and not just mm-hmm. wanting to be able to 
to install and tinker and, you know, and, and experiment without anybody looking, without the possibility of anybody getting film out or anything like that. There's some things we can infer. I think AJ Barner will probably be in line to start at tight end or at least, you know, sort of front of that line in the competition. DJ Matthews is back from his ACL tear. By all accounts, he's going to be healthy. It seems right now like it's in Tom Allen. I think he's even kind of said he has kind of said this now that I'm thinking about it. Um, Jack Tuttle and Connor Basilak, the Missouri transfer, are probably, you know, 1A, 1B in the quarterback battle right now. Okay. You've got a you got a couple guys, a couple transfers at running back. Uh, primarily, I think Sean Shivers, the Auburn transfer, is a guy that I think could could make an immediate impact to that offense. But the truth is that, you know, again, you're talking about an offense that was by literally almost any measure the worst in the league last season. And and I mean, it wasn't a close worst. Like they were they were pronounced in, in being the worst offense in the league. Then they changed their coordinator, their quarterback's coach, their wide receiver's coach, and their running back's coach. They're going to have probably six, maybe seven new starters, including a new quarterback. Tuttle obviously could be the guy, but even then, he's never been the day one starter in his career yeah. in Indiana. He's just a little bit – he's been around, so he's a little more familiar. Um, you know, I can't tell you who their leading pass catcher is going to be. I can't tell you who their leading running back is going to be in terms of who's going to lead them with carries at the end of the year. We can look at what Walt Bell did at UMass or FSU. I, I suspect what he did at Maryland, sort of that spread tempo – timing offense that that looks a lot like what I think Tom Allen has always envisioned kind of a lot of what Tom Allen saw base concepts wise with Hugh Freeze Kalen DeBoer got it really right Nick Sheridan got it right for one year and then really really struggled last season um I you know we can maybe conceptually know what that offense is going to look like but we you know we haven't seen it on grass once since Walt Bell was hired that is the core sort of question about this team is just how does all of this work on offense because on defense I think there's there's pieces to replace there's holes to fill but Tom Allen's taking uh, play calling duties back this season he is not necessarily I mean he stopped at the water's edge of criticizing Charlton Warren who was his defensive coordinator last year replacing Kane Womack um, but he's he's definitely said things like this is basically just kind of not the defense that I envisioned and ultimately yeah like, you know, I use this comparison a lot. Like Ohio State, Kevin Wilson is a brilliant offensive mind, but Ohio State runs Ryan Day's offense. Right. You know, Tom Allen can hire really good defensive coaches, but they're going to run Tom Allen's defense. And and it was clear that it's it has been. I, I would say it has become clear through the offseason. Tom Allen did not feel like they were running what he recognized as his defense by the end of last season. So there's some things I think we can feel like we can say with some certainty about defense. Indiana's defense next season, offensively. I mean, I just can't, I just don't know. And, and I can make some educated guesses, but until we see these guys, and I think we will see them some in fall camp, I I just feel like I've got to reserve a lot of judgment to, to kind of know what it looks like, where it's going, you know, who the front runners are and and like where, where expectations should be, frankly. Uh, This is hard. That's a lot up in the air, right? That, I mean, I'll be honest, there's some of this stuff like, when you start shutting out, like, don't look at us, don't talk to us kind of stuff, it's like, uh, I don't love that. You know, like, there's a part yeah. of that. And I get like, oh, everything's a secret. We got to keep it like, oh, we don't want to where, you know, and last year, frankly, again, Tom Allen probably leaned into it a little too much. He was trying to be, you know, get his program excited and build off something. And so, you know, there, there's a part of that. And now you're, 
you're changing your whole offensive staff and you're taking play calling duties back on defense. There are like different parts of this, Zach, that you take this and you take this and it, it does some, some of it sounds to me like the kind of things that happen like on the way before you fire the coach, right? As much as you I say, think, Hey, no, you can't, you can't be quick on Tom Allen. He's earned some of this, but it feels like what you're describing is like a sort of a lot of basic changes that they're trying to look for something here. The, there are a lot of things that for, for like the next year, maybe even the next two years to be really considered successful. Like Indiana needs more than the average number of kind of best case scenarios. Mm. You understand what say I'm it. saying? Yep. Um, and, and I mean, possibly many more. Now the flip side is they did really bring in a very talented freshman class. And I, I try not to be like evals guy. Cause I'm, yeah. there are people that do that a lot better than me, but like I've seen some of these kids on film you know, we, we've seen little, even little snippets of them in practice. Like, I think some of, the, I think that, I think that there's a very good chance we're not just going to look back at this on paper as Indiana's best ever recruiting class, but like we're going to look back and say pound for pound, it's got an argument as the best class they signed in the rankings era. Look at what all these guys did. Um, but nevertheless, no, I, I think I think that assessment is fair. I think the one thing that I do come back to is, I really do kind of believe in in the theory and basically just sort of that like Indiana lost some of its ambition last year that like, as I said earlier, like when, when the going got tough, the tough found it hard to get going because they looked back and they thought, well, I've been here for four years and all the stuff that I, I, you know, I, I was sold on kind of this dream coming up to Indiana and all the stuff I was sold on, we've done by and large. Okay. We haven't won a big 10 title, but like everything except that we've done. And they have, I mean, like the Indiana had a lot of players transfer out in the winter and, yeah. you know, I think people saw that as a red flag. Frankly, I'm not sure that wasn't healthy mm. just to recycle some of that, get yep. some fresh, some, you know, get some, obviously you're, you're sacrificing some experience in some spots. There were also a lot of guys <clears throat> that transferred out that quite frankly, I think Indiana just kind of had to look at and say, listen, you know, we've given you four years. We've given you five years. We've we've we feel we have sort of satisfied our promise to you, and we just can't keep everybody for the full COVID six seasons they're allowed, or we will literally have recruiting classes of like eight kids in three years. We just can't do that. Um, and there were a fair few guys that that fit that bill. I just think there was also maybe some value if you are trying to kind of restart this a little bit again. Enter what you hope if you're Tom Allen is a new cycle and not you know, some sort of basically diminishing returns that, that, that can't be arrested after last season. Um, then I don't think it hurts to bring in some players with fresh ambitions and so, you bring in like somebody like Sean Shivers and, you know, we've only talked to Shivers once or twice, but like a guy that obviously had really high hopes, went to an SEC school, had some great moments. Like he had that moment in the iron bowl where he ran over the, <clears throat> he knocked the defensive backs helmet off going into the end zone and Shivers is only like five, seven. So like doing, you know, it was like, Oh my God, what's this little you know guy doing? But then over the entirety of his career was never really able to grab that number one job. Well, maybe bringing in a guy like that who might feel that ambition, that urgency to say, I'm here to prove myself that I'm not just a third down back or a change of pace guy, whatever it is. Um, I think bringing in some, some fresh young talent, Pairing that to maybe some some ambitious transfers, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world for a team that maybe is trying to reset 
it's gaze a little bit mentally and emotionally as much as anything else. When we think about this Ohio State-Indiana matchup, 10th game of the regular season, November 12th, who are – you mentioned this, this great recruiting class. Are there a couple, a handful of guys, one or two guys – that you think by that point in the season, by mid-November, as true freshmen, could be on the field in roles that matter for Indiana? Let me pull it up while we're talking. Um, it'll, it'll show you just how just how you know good I am at my job that I just need to be reminded who all's in the class. Desan McCullough is the top-rated player in the class. Obviously, Indiana fans will remember him. I, I would Ohio be State fans are very sad. Yeah, sorry, that, that's what I meant, Ohio State fans. I just got off vacation, so you can tell I'm kind of resetting everything. But I, I would be surprised. And then his dad left. His dad left. And his <laughs> brothers left. Well, one of his brothers is still here. The oh, one that's brother, still man. in high school is, is flipped his commitment. Um, Nick James, I think, is a player they added late on the defensive line that they, they have strong hopes for, if not right now, then in the not-so-distant future. Carter Smith, I really – again, I try not to be film guy – but he's from, he went to Olin Tangy. Is it Olin? It's Olin Tangy Liberty, right? That's how we, we Olin say Tangy. Okay. Olin Tangy. Okay. Yep. Um, I think he's, and he's a tackle. So like, does he play immediately? I don't know, but at places like Indiana, sometimes like a true freshman can do that. Like it, it yeah. a place like this can accommodate that a little bit more. Um, Jalen Lucas is a, is small. He's like sort of like a, a hybrid running back wide receiver from Oklahoma, but he's a remarkable athlete. Travell Mullen is really good, and unless he was standing on a on a stool, he's substantially taller than his brother Taiwan, who's, mm. who's an All American in 2020. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I again, I've only seen him on film, but like one of his brothers plays for the Raiders, the other one's an All Big Ten All American defensive back. He's got to be good. Uh, Demon Moore, DJ Moore, is an interior offensive lineman from Fort Wayne. Another guy that I think Indiana might you know, have reason to get on the field fairly quickly. And I think, you know, one of the guys I actually have seen multiple times in person, um, Omar Cooper is a wide receiver from Indianapolis who I think genuinely could be very, very good. I mean, like, I, I think he has, like, he reminds me of every all big 10 receiver Penn state has had in the last like mm. 15 years where it's like, I don't know what his NFL ceiling is, but he's just a really good college player. And maybe he won't be great in the NFL. Maybe he will, but he's just got a lot of tools. He's explosive. He's got great hands. I think he's advanced in route running for a kid his age. So, like, I would not be surprised if you see a number of these freshmen pretty quickly. And, I, and again, when you talk about the exodus of transfers out of Indiana, I think Tom Allen might have looked at it and said, even if some of these guys are a little young, even if they're a little raw, it might not hurt to get someone on the field quickly, not just from a, a transfer portal perspective or whatever, but also just because suddenly here comes, you know, fresh legs, fresh ambitions, fresh ideas, and maybe we have some hiccups, maybe we have some growing pains, but the flip side is we really are able to kind of turn the page. And and the more we talk about what's new, the less we have to talk about what's old, if if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. So yeah, I think I, that's I, smart. I think, I think there are some some guys that I would not be shocked. Again, having not seen fall camp or, or spring camp when McCullough was here. James was here. I believe Smith was here. If I'm not mistaken, Lucas was here. Um, not every one of those guys was was here in the, the spring, but I think that there will be room for a lot of freshmen and certainly those transfers to compete for immediate playing time. And I wouldn't be surprised. Those are some of kind of the early names I'd, I'd fire in there. If you ask me, like, who do you think you might see on the field fairly quickly for IU? So I got two more quickies to get you out of here on. Actually, the last one's kind of a big picture thought provoking one. 
Are you like at what? Four wins, five, three, six. Like you got plenty of time to make a prediction. Just trying to give the listeners here. Like, do you think they can get, can they get to a bowl this year? Or would that be like, wow, that's great. Or is that a realistic expectation? I, I don't know how realistic it is. And again, like, let's say they do get a lot of optimal scenarios with that offense. Then maybe we see them the first three, four weeks of the season. We say, actually, they, you know, they fixed a lot of stuff here. Mm-hmm. They've addressed a lot of their issues. The line plays better, whatever. The, the one thing that I think is, is interesting about Indiana is they open Illinois at home, Idaho at home, Western Kentucky at home, at Cincinnati, at Nebraska. And then from there, it's Michigan, Maryland, at Rutgers, Penn State, at Ohio State, at Michigan State. So their their, their schedule is very backloaded. Yeah. The flip side is, if you did tell me that like Indiana got a number of those optimal scenarios to pan out in the first, you know in, in fall camp, I can draw you a path to them starting four and one. I don't think right. they will. But every one of those teams. You know, Illinois got questions. Obviously, Idaho and Western Kentucky are games that if Indiana can't win them, then this whole this whole conversation is is uh, you know completely moot anyway, and we don't need to worry about it. Cincinnati, I'm sure they will be underdogs, but that's also a Cincinnati team that lost a lot to the draft yep. last year. You have a lot of trust in Luke Fickle, but how quickly do they reload? And then Nebraska is probably better than Indiana, but does feel like they're sort of at a similar crossroads in terms of like, are you just going to be able to prove it or not at this point? And Indiana's won at Nebraska in, in recent memory. They won there in 2019. My point is, I think we're going to have a really good idea very quickly where Indiana's ambitions are for this season. If they can get three wins out of those first five games, certainly if they can get four, then I think they can be a bowl team, both because they have enough winnable games left on their schedule and also because if you can win those games, you should be able to win two of three of Maryland and Purdue at home and at Rutgers. On the other hand, anything less than three wins out of those first five games. And I just don't see how it's possible for Indiana. Yeah. I think an optimal season for me, if I'm looking at this from, you know, an objective point of view would probably be five and seven, a competitive five and seven gets you back to that place where you're, again, you're talking about that was the aberration. This is proof again that we're, you know, we're, we're pulling ourselves back up by our bootstraps. It'll take a little bit longer in Indiana than it would at like Michigan state, but we're going to make that happen. Um, I, you know, five wins, even five wins is, does feel like a stretch to me until I'm more confident in this team. I'm thinking more like three, four range. I don't think five is impossible. I guess I don't think six is impossible. Okay. Um, but there's just so much, I don't know that like, I just don't, you know, I'm, I'm terrified of predicting anything when I literally can't tell you anything about their offense. Like they could be running the option for all I know. I have no clue. All right. Last one, big picture. Indiana basketball under Mike Woodson made the NCAA tournament last season for the first time since 2016, after the mediocre Archie Miller era that yielded no NCAA tournaments. If you are a typical Indiana sports fan, maybe you're alum, maybe you're not, but you like everything about Indiana sports. If you have a hundred percent of your fandom, right? We have the, the pie graph and it's football and basketball right now. Indiana sports fans, what percent of that pie is basketball, men's basketball, and what percent is football? I mean, it's 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 more it's it is more slanted than the average. I would say right now, like ninety ten or more. Okay, and again, I think some of that is there is some reason for excitement around Mike Woodson. I have questions about Indiana this season, but like 
you know, you, 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 you have put together some of the preseason ballots. Like as I look at the big 10 right now, I don't think I can vote anyone else. Number one in the conference and good conference in men's basketball. I'm not, I'm by no means convinced they're going to win the league in men's basketball, but they are the team that I feel like far and away I can trust the most. Woodson has recruited well. Obviously, last season was a bit of an emotional roller coaster in the middle of it. But if you told an Indiana fan before the season ended, you know, or before the season began, that Mike Woodson's first season, 21 wins, a win in the tournament, breaking that, you know, frankly, absurdly long losing streak to Purdue, nine game losing streak to Purdue, played in the Big Ten tournament semifinal they would have said that's got to be a successful season. Like, what, however that happens, I think in, in the average Indiana fan would have absolutely considered that a successful first season under Mike Woodson. He's recruited well. He's got a lot of key pieces back. On the other hand, it's not just these sort of footballs, the secondary sport at Indiana of the big two, and, you know, apathy will always set in once basketball season starts. There is a, a real sense of, like, Fans got their hopes up so much for last yeah. season. Again, like maybe more so, frankly, than people like around the program. I think people around the program, as I said, kind of near the top, like people I talked to thought like eight and four, go win the Music City Bowl. That would be a fantastic season. It would lend the impression that Indiana is consolidating itself as sort of like the the best of the rest in the East. Mm-hmm. And is finding this formula for like how to be a consistent bowl team again for the first time since Bill Mallory was the coach. Indiana fans were just all in. Like they were just excited to be excited, essentially. And they didn't get to be a part of anything that happened in 2020. They right. weren't there for the Penn State game. They weren't there for the Michigan game. You know, they, they all had to watch on TV for the Ohio State game. All of that, you know, with the exception of the people that went to Tampa for the bowl, they didn't get to be a part of any of it. So they were so excited about last year. And then again, the season went the way it went. I think that they are more deflated than they've been in a long time because basically they got their hopes up. And so at best, I would say that pie chart is like 90, 10, it may be even more than that. And, you know, part of that will always be that football, that men's basketball is the, the flagship here that that that's probably never going to change, but part of it is just the way that last season went in football and the degree to which I think even fans who 12 months ago would have been, you know, pulling like 98% approval rating for Tom Allen or whatever, even those people feel like they need their trust one back. Yeah. Um, from, from this, this coach, this program, this team, the whole bit. He's Zach Osterman. Where can they find you, Zach? Where can they read you? You guys do a good job over there. Indie star. Tell you what, pretty good at this. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's everyone else but me. But um, I, You're good. Stop. You're good. Yeah. How long have you been doing it? How long have you been covered in Indiana now? How many years? Oh, uh, well, for someone going back to college, 15 years, yeah. which okay. is a little bit alarming now that I say it out loud. Yeah. Um, this will be my ninth year at the star. This was, or this is This is my ninth year. I'll begin my 10th year at the star this year. So you get a plaque 10 years, you get like a bonus, a plaque. I don't know. I, when I, when I came on, they just wanted me covering basketball. I didn't pick up football for a couple of years. So I, I picked football back up Kevin's first bowl season in 20. So, so I guess 2015 is like the, the, the start of my continuous time on the IU football beat, but like going again, going back to college sports editor, student paper. I still remember Bill Lynch and uh, Terry Hetner and the insight bowl and, um talk about talk about flashes and pans that was obviously that was a season that i think got iu fans very excited and perhaps not unlike the one just gone 
the way that it was followed up was 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 awfully deflating. And you know, Bill Bill never quite got that back. I, I don't. Yep. I do think Tom Allen has a, a probably a substantially better chance of that than Bill did for a variety of reasons. Um, but I think to your earlier point, like it, it, it can be difficult. And when you feel like you've got to, you know, do sort of major surgery on your team, the way Indiana has in the last, you know, whatever it's been seven, eight months, I guess um, that, that doesn't work out a lot more often than it does work out. So but IndyStar.com, read all about it mm. one way or the other. Or maybe we'll just be writing about basketball by November. Who knows? <laughs> Zach, thank you for your time on this. We'll uh, see you in Indy for Big Ten Media Days, and we always appreciate having you here on Buckeye Talk. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Always fun. All right. So thanks to Zach for that. We certainly appreciate his time. I certainly recommend Zach as one of the best guys to follow in the Big Ten. He's he's on top of both football and basketball, has a really good sense of like NIL stuff and bigger picture, Big Ten stuff, just a really good uh, overall beat writer. So certainly suggest that. So like the idea that it's like 95-5 or 90-10 for Indiana, Indiana basketball to football, I do just think Tom Allen and the football team had a window sort of at the end of the failed Archie Miller basketball era to have that kind of season in 2020 was an opportunity and then they dropped the ball in 2021. And I just don't know if Tom Allen's going to get it back. I have real skepticism that Tom Allen's ever going to get it back because I do think Tom Allen's like overt enthusiasm, that kind of thing that really works when you're winning and it gets old fast when you're not. So I PJ flex sort of had to win right away at Minnesota. Cause it's like, I get it. You're happy and excited, but nobody wants to hear happy and excited when you're 0 and nine. So I think this is a huge year for Tom Allen. I don't know if it's a huge year for Indiana football because I just don't know. I just don't know if they're going to have a year like they did in 2020 for a very long time. When we look back on that 2020 football season, 10 years from now, when people are doing retrospectives on that, oh, the COVID year, how crazy it was. I think Indiana may end up being the biggest blip, the biggest one-time beneficiary of a weird season, just like Michigan and Penn State would be at the top of the list of teams that sort of fell off the map in a weird season. You know, I said during that year, I thought the COVID season exposed cracks in your team that were there. And I did think that mattered, but like, I'm sorry, I'm kind of being proven wrong. Cause like Michigan fell apart in the COVID year and then they were great last year. So like the COVID year didn't matter. Now they did hire a bunch of new assistants and that kind of thing. So maybe they did that. Maybe the COVID failures and that terrible season forced them to make changes that made the program better. But Indiana, you know, rose up, during the COVID year. And then it was like, it was false. It was, it was not real. It was false positive, right? I mean, that's not a real, that's not real. That's not what Indiana football then turned out to be. So I have real, real questions about where the Hoosiers are going for here from here. And it's just not a game that I think Ohio state's really going to have to worry about in any way, shape or form in the 10th game of the regular season on November 12th. All right, we'll get to Maryland next week. The plan for Friday is to continue our most influential Buckeyes list for 2022 we're heading into the top 10 so we'll do like the bottom half of the top 10 on that friday pod that's the plan for now appreciate you guys listening thanks as always uh we love having you um being part of buckeye talk and we're honored to be part of your ohio state experience thanks to zach osterman always great i'm doug lay maurice and that was buckeye talk